Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Hey everyone, Mikkel here. Okay, before we get into today's episode, I want to get some feedback from you, the listener. We're looking at ways that we can take the podcast in new directions, new guests that we want to have on the show, new ideas we want to share with you. So we have a lot of threads going for this at Expat Money Forum, our private Facebook group. If you go to expatmoneyforum.com, you can join the conversation. I want to hear feedback from you guys. What topics have we not covered that you want to hear more of? Do you want to hear more stories from successful expats who have moved offshore? Do you want to hear more business-related stuff, more finance-related stuff? Are you more interested in immigration and visas and passports? Is it the investments or real estate? I want to know what you are interested in. This show is not about me. It is about you guys. It is about all of my amazing listeners and trying to help inspire you and get you the best up-to-date knowledge every single Wednesday when I publish this show. So join the conversation at Expat Money Forum. Let me know what you think, what you want to hear more about, how I can best serve you. It's really important to me to make this show the absolute best in our space. And I think we're off to a really good start. Podcast has been going for over four years now, which is just hard to believe. It seems like just yesterday I started it, and the feedback has been amazing. But there's always room to improve. There's always things we can do better. So share your knowledge, share your expertise, share what you want to hear, share your wants, your desires, your needs, your goals, everything with us at Expat Money Forum. I really appreciate it, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show, and today's guest is an international speaker, author, and expert in the international real estate market. He has been published and interviewed by numerous publications, including the Wall Street Journal, and is authored of nine books in psychology of influence and persuasion, including his bestseller, Sales Gnosis, The Art of Hypnotic Persuasion. He has more than three decades of experience and has personally closed over $1 billion, with a B, $1 billion in the real estate sales. Today, I have the privilege of talking with him about global property fines in Morocco, Greece, Brazil, and Mexico. Please welcome to the show, John Palumbo. John, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. John, I'm really excited about today's conversation. Why don't you start by giving us a little bit of a backstory? How did you get involved in real estate in the first place? 
Well, I'll take you back to the Neanderthal times, but I'll give you the two-second nutshell version. I was working in a clothing store, believe it or not, in a mall, and I got fired because they said I didn't know how to sell. So I left that afternoon, and I got on my motorcycle. (laughs) I drove over to see a friend of mine who was living in an apartment, and when I got there that day, I noticed there was a sign that said, for sale. So when I went into his apartment, I said, what is the for sale sign about? He says, they're turning these apartments into condos. Believe it or not, I was so young, I didn't even know what that meant. So after talking to him for a few minutes, as I started to leave, I walked down to the sales office because I saw a sign that said sales office. (laughs) I went to the patio door and there was a phone cord coming out of the door because there was no one in the office. And the guy had the cord to the telephone stretched all the way out to the swimming pool. And he was sitting out by the pool with his phone. This was before cell phones. I hate to admit it, but it was. And he explained to me how they were converting the apartments into condos. And his phone was sitting out there as he was sitting out there kind of getting some sun. And when I left, I said, guys, this seems like a great job. The guy told me they were selling them like hotcakes. And for the next couple of days, I sat and uh, as I went home, I couldn't really sleep well thinking about it. So I found out the name of the company. I went down and called them and I got an interview with them and I went to meet with the sales manager and he asked me if I'd ever sold real estate. And I said, no, but I can sell. And um, by the way, I drove a motorcycle over there. I didn't have a car at the time. And he said, son, I'll never forget these words. He said, son, I've got guys here that are making six to $8,000 a month. And I'm afraid they would just eat you like an alligator. Little did he know that those words that he uttered, I have guys making six to $8,000 a month. This was 30 years ago. Turned my tractor totally on and I was off and running into the field. I said, this is what I want to do. And literally, he called me a couple of days later and said, uh, he write down this address. I showed up. He said, let's see what you can do. And that's how I got into real estate. And the rest is history. It, it went great for me. It has continued to do good for me. And over the years, I've sold multifamily. I've sold converted condos. I've sold houses, luxury real estate. Um, and now I spend a lot of time working with builder developers selling uh, properties, mostly beachfront, mostly waterfront. I do consulting work for that. And that's been my livelihood for the last 35 years, combined with my private acquisitions of properties. There's how I got into real estate. And now I spend my time writing and lecturing. And I own several properties uh, in different parts of the world. And I do consulting work for several developers that uh, are developing mostly beachfront properties, mostly nice stuff that people can buy in different countries. And I like to consider myself a global bargain hunter. And that's where I really like to feel like I fall into as a global bargain hunter, so to speak. So that'll kind of give you the short version of how I got into it, where I've been and where I am now. I know that was very short for many years, but there we are. Well, there's a ton of things to unpack there. So you started in domestic real estate. Was there a point or a shift that started taking your focus more into international? Or have you always done both? Or how did that kind of work? I have not always done both. I think like most people, I had a a lust for travel. Mm -hmm. And 
that lust for travel started with me just going to the most simple places to travel outside of the country, the Bahamas, Mexico. And I'll never forget, I made a couple of trips to Mexico and I thought it was a really cool place. And then all of a sudden I had an opportunity. There's a side of me that's embarrassed to say this, but it's true. I bought a timeshare in Mexico and that was my first international real estate purchase. But that did nothing more than fuel the fires. It was gasoline onto the fire of wanting to travel more, wanting to learn more. The ownership of real estate in Mexico is relatively easy, especially when you think of a timeshare. And I just realized I needed a lot more than just what that timeshare offered. And so over time, as I made trips, I eventually went there and found a place that was in pre-construction. And uh, pre-construction means there was nothing built. I was already doing pre-construction real estate sales in the U.S. for beachfront luxury properties. And when I was in Mexico and I saw the office, my daughter was with me. And I said, let's go in and look. And my daughter kind of rolled her eyes because it's kind of like, Dad, this is what we do everywhere we go. We go in and look. And I said, I know it, but that's what I do. And I like to look and see what they're doing. And I got turned on and I loved it. And they told me the details, how much I had to put down and it would take them two or three years to build it and I could pay for it or at least get a lot of it paid for during those few years. So I made the leap from owning a timeshare in Mexico to owning my own physical real estate, a a beachfront condo down there. And that's how I got started with the real estate. My first purchase was in Mexico and um, it was a learning experience. Everything, every every component of it was a learning experience of how different it is in the U.S. Remember, I had sold real estate here. I had worked with builders, developers. I understood it intimately. But it was a whole new game when I went to Mexico for the first time. It's not so much of a game for me now, but I can remember just so many little things. And maybe I'll share some of them with you in the next few minutes about just the ownership there. But that was my first endeavor. I would love to dive into what are some of the big changes. So if, imagine you're talking to someone, one of my listeners, and they've owned real estate in the United States or Canada, but they're thinking about making that leap. What are the things that they need to understand before they would buy a place in, say, Mexico or some of the other countries that we hopefully will be talking about today? Well, you have a lot of variations. You have cultural differences, you have monetary differences, you have the legal differences, and you have the form of ownership differences. And they they take such different forms in different countries. And while there's so many things that are done in the U.S. that are so systematized and so uh, the bookwork is so clear – and sometimes we complain about some of the things here, but I can assure you, you just go to some other countries and you'll realize how well organized owning real estate in the United States is. But just taking the first one that I mentioned, the currency, understanding the currency is a big issue. Um, if you've gone there a few times and just you know gone to restaurants or gone out, that's one thing. But once you start making purchases, it's important to understand, does your money gain value or lose value when it crosses that border? Mm-hmm. And just understanding buying things. I'll, I'll give you a, a great example. In Mexico, <laughs> this is another one of those embarrassing but funny stories. We, when when the condo was finished, my daughter and I went out to buy some things to go in it, and we went into a Costco, and as I looked up, I saw a big screen TV, and it was only like 
$400. And I, I just looked at her and I said, oh my God, this TV is like $400. This would be $1,800, $2,000 at home. And she was like, God, I can't believe it either, Dad. So I told the guy, I said, we'll take three of them. And then we went around the corner and they had the computers. And they said, you know, the computers were like $150, these notebooks. I said, oh my God, these are seven or $800 at home. I said, we're just stealing stuff here in Mexico. So I said, bring me three or four of those. I said, I'll take one home and you can take one home. And she was like, yeah, Dad. <laughs> I had greatest, so much stuff when I got to the ever. counter. <laughs> Yeah, when I got to the front to ring up and she said I owed like fifteen or twenty thousand dollars. I said, No, the prices are, are off on all these and they walked over and they go, Oh, those are the discount. That's not the price. That's we're we're taking that much off of the regular price. But they had a way <laughs> of putting the prices up there that were that that the the discount was the biggest thing on the on the card, and it made me think that was the price. All I can remember is my daughter looked at me. We looked at each other, and I said, um, I tell you what, just put all that back. And they kind of look at like, are you crazy? And I said, I don't think we'll be coming back here for a while just because I keep showing my face here after this debacle. But I learned how to read the prices a little better and watch them a little closer as we laughed. We went and had dinner that night, and I think we laughed for hours about what fools we looked like when we got to the cash register, and we still laugh at it today. I'm laughing. That's crazy. That's hilarious. (laughs) I I wonder, I guess the guys don't work on commission. If they worked on commission, they probably would have been like, thought it was their, they just hit the lottery or something. We looked like the ugly Americans, rich, ugly Americans. We just had all, I had two or three guys with carts bringing stuff up front. And I'm thinking, this is the best thing since sliced bread. No wonder everybody's <laughs> coming to Mexico. Stuff is so cheap here. And we still tell that story today. It's, it's probably one of my, my favorite stories of, let me tell you how I made a fool of myself this time stories. And so, but understanding the currency is important. Um, and I went to turn the utilities on. They took about an eight or $900 deposit, and they said, you don't get it back until you sell the place. Well, in the States, I'm used to putting up a $50 deposit to turn on utilities. But, you know, every country is different, and it's understanding when that money gets transferred, understanding the exchange rates. I would tell somebody if they were to call me, and say, just make sure whoever you're transferring your money through, you're trusting them, and that you've you've scouted out the best transferring agent to move your money. Because if you're moving, you know, fifty thousand or a couple of hundred thousand dollars to another country, you can lose you can lose thousands in just the transfer if you're using the wrong agent. And if you've traveled, you know that as well as as well as I do. And so. I'm now when I'm dealing in different countries, I'm just very on top of that money and those exchange rates and the exchange agents as I get a bank account open and, you know, try to understand the different banking laws in different countries because they're all just a little bit different. Not that much, but just a little bit and just learning how not to lose money as I move money around from different places. Does that make sense? I've seen that. Oh, absolutely. I've seen that all the time. People just think that they'll just go to their bank and just do a direct transfer from one bank account to the other. It's like, you know that there are other options out there. And that one transfer, especially like you said, when buying international real estate, I mean, that can equate to thousands of dollars that are just going to be eaten up in fees and and terrible um, rates. 
Exactly. And so I, I found out I've been fortunate that I've had people that I've trusted in these transactions over the years that I've become friends with over the years. And um, I found that bank to bank transactions truthfully are the worst. And like you said, there are other agents and other ways to move money out there that are not just bank to bank. And it's like going to the bank and people you know, want to go get a few thousand dollars in the local currency for where they're going. And I say, don't do that. It's the worst rate you will ever pay. Just wait till you get there and walk in, you know, go to an exchange agent right there on site. You're going to get a much better deal. But, you know, everybody has to learn. That's the beauty of, of what is out there today, like with what you're doing and, you know, doing these type of podcasts and shows is that if people listen to them, they can extract so many money saving ideas just from you know people like you are listening to my crazy stories about how I've made a fool of myself in stores and realize they don't have to go in and do that but then what would be the fun if you didn't make a fool of yourself doing a few things on the trip right <laughs> well I think that's important um I believe that a lot of people think that the best way to learn something is from their own mistakes. You know, that's kind of a saying, you know, your best way to learn is from your mistakes. I think it's the worst way to learn. I highly encourage people to learn from other people's mistakes. Learn from my mistakes, learn from your mistakes, John, and don't go out and make the same ones um, because there are other options out there. And we're using, you know, currency conversion as a as one example, but I mean, this is an example for everything in life. Try to find people who have already done the things that you want to do and then model your behavior after them. Don't feel like you need to start at the beginning and reinvent the wheel every time. I agree with you totally. Um, it's okay to make a mistake when you order the wrong dish at a restaurant. That's a, that's a minor mistake, but you don't want to do it when you're you know, trying to invest in property or looking for a place to either invest in or retire in. Um, like me, I, I've gotten to where I just enjoy buying real estate outside of the U.S., um, mainly because the prices are so much better. I can find better deals. I can get it's, – it's just I enjoy that part of the adventure, um, you know, getting the bank account open, finding my favorite restaurants, especially when somebody comes to visit me in another place. I already know my way around, and they go, this is so much better than having a tour guide. And I say, what do you want to eat tonight? And the friends that know me say, wherever you want to go, John, we know you've already scoped it out and you've already got the best places picked. So you pick it. We're going wherever you want to go. We're good to go. So the first, first foray into international real estate was Mexico. Did you stay with Mexico for a while or did you go out there and find new countries to invest in? I've done both. I've stayed with Mexico because I enjoy going there and I've got friends and I've got counsel there. Um, I, I have a lot of good friends in Mexico. So it's sort of my first love just because I've got good friends down there now. And even though I don't speak Spanish, I, I understand enough of it and can throw a few words out there to get me around easy. And I do some business down there still. So Mexico is close. It's easy. It's economical. And um, I think enough people go there now that it's it's, a, it's an easy foray for me to get to. Um, but I have ventured off into other countries. I've done stuff in Europe. I've done stuff in Africa, uh, Brazil, and uh, Jamaica. I've had chances to do some stuff in the Bahamas, uh, worked on a couple of deals that didn't go through. And, you know, I've made runs at a few things, made some offers uh, that didn't quite come through. And I'm not pinned down to buy something. If it's not a good deal, I just don't go through with it. I don't let my emotions overrule my logic. 
I guess is what I'm saying. So I'm always looking for a very good deal and in the right economic climate. Uh, For instance, um, I bought a place in Greece several years ago. And Greece real estate had plummeted. I don't I'm sure you were up on top of it because I know you're, you're sort of marketing markets. But for the average consumer, uh, the market had plummeted. And I, I don't know if you remember in the news, it was talk that Greece was going to come out of the the European Union uh, because their their situation was so dire that they couldn't survive inside of it. There's a lot of reasons why they couldn't come out of the European Union and didn't want to come out of the European Union. Maybe we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but um, I found it to be a great time to buy something over there. But here was the question I got asked by several people. This kind of taught me something about people's mentality. They said, oh my God, why would you buy something in Greece right now? And the economy is horrible. And I just sat and looked at them and I said, I'm not making a living in Greece. I'm just buying some real estate there. And I said, what would be your recommendation? Should I wait for the economy to get good and the prices to go up? Or would I buy when the economy is for, you know, just absolutely at the bottom and everybody's screaming, we're, we're out of money. When would you think would be the best time to buy? And people would just kind of, they get confused and they'd go, well, I guess based on that, I said, let me remind you. I'm not making my living in Greece. I'm just looking for bargains in real estate to buy right now. And they go, well, I guess it makes sense. And I said, there you go. So part of that global bargain hunting mentality is I'm looking for a place where the dollar is strong. The economy is, doesn't have to be weak, but they're hungry for U.S. dollars. And they're hungry for people to bring money in and to do things. And if you can get those to line up, you're able to make some good buys in real estate. And I enjoy traveling and I enjoy buying a good deal. And if you saw some of the stuff that I bought, some of the views and, you know, the properties themselves, you would say, holy cow, those are some great deals. So um, I bought something in uh, North Africa uh, a few years ago in uh, the country of Morocco, which I absolutely love. I just love going there. It's such a different part of the world. It's not like anything in Europe. Europe is so much more civilized. I look at Morocco as a civilized third world. And especially when it's, you're going to some of the, the very cultured places, it's just got such an otherworldly feel in Morocco. Yeah, I first went to Morocco back in, I want to say, 2000 um, and spent two months there. And it was, for me at that time, was like going to a different planet. I was, I was probably like... 18 or 19 years old and I'd never seen anything like it. And it was, it was like straight out of a movie. I just, I was so shocked. I've been to Morocco so many times since and it is so stunningly beautiful with such amazing people. And the food is like out of this world. If, if my listeners, if you guys have not been to Morocco, go plan like an eating holiday in Morocco. You will not regret it. It's unbelievable. We will just take a quick break. I am so happy to announce that the Expat Money Show is going back to weekly. When you wake up every single Friday morning, you will see a brand new episode of the show waiting for you in your favorite podcasting app. And this couldn't come at a better time because we are about to celebrate our 100th episode of the show. And I want to do something really special for you. 
So what I thought might be fun is I'm going to interview myself. Mikkel interviews Mikkel, if you will. And you, my amazing audience, are going to decide on the questions. All you have to do to participate is head over to Apple Podcasts, smash that subscribe button, and leave us a five-star review. While you're there, I want you to write your question at the bottom of your review, and I will give you a shout-out and answer your question live on episode 100. Really, it's unbelievable to think that we are at almost 100 episodes of the show. So to show your love, I want you to go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review, ask your question so I can answer it live on episode 100. I'm super excited about this. Thank you so much for being a listener. Okay, let's jump back into the episode. Well, I agree with you. And I, I do a lot of photography work. I had mentioned it to you earlier when we were talking. And uh, I love shooting photography. And on my Instagram page, I've got a lot of pictures posted in Morocco. And you can see such a difference between the pictures I've posted when I'm traveling in Morocco versus when I'm traveling in, say, for instance, Spain or Italy or other parts of the world. It just, they're so exotic and they're so otherworldly, like, like you said, that, um, you know, it's just, they, they take on a different form. And, uh, so, and I love posting them on Instagram, even though I don't have a gazillion followers, uh, I definitely post my pictures in the form of series on there. So I do countries in general when I'm traveling in those countries, and I, and I love doing them. But Morocco's pictures are just so rich with people. Mm-hmm. And the colors are amazing in Morocco. I remember visiting, like, uh, I, don't, I don't know where your places are, are based, but I remember going through Fez and seeing the old tanneries where they dye the leathers and all the textiles there. And these colors are just unreal. I, I, was, I was so blown away. Yeah, they're stunning. Did they give you the mint to put under your nose while you're going through the tanneries? Because the the smell is so rough. Correct, correct. So where, okay, so I maybe I should have asked earlier in Mexico, is there anywhere in Mexico particularly you liked? Was there anywhere in Greece particularly liked? Same with uh, Morocco. Um, do you like the whole country? Is it only specific places? I know in private conversations we've talked that you definitely have a love affair with beachfront type of uh, properties. Um, I do have an affair with beachfront property, waterfront property. Morocco, uh, what I have there is not on the beach, but it's very close. It's I can be at the beach in a short period of time. Um, I'm in the city of Marrakesh, which is probably one of the most exotic cities in the world, in my opinion. And there's just so much to see and do. I can be at the Atlas Mountains in a matter of one hour. And uh, somebody would say, well, what would you do up in the Atlas Mountains? I'd say, well, for instance, you can go have lunch at Richard Branson's. Uh, his place. He has a small boutique hotel right up in the Atlas Mountains just outside of Marrakesh. And to say it's spectacular would be an understatement. It's just the coolest place in the world. And uh, I've actually got some pictures posted on my Instagram page uh, of the, uh, it's called Kasbah Tamadat. And uh, it's just a cool place. I can be out to the ocean in about an hour from there. Uh, I don't know that a lot of people know, but a lot of movies are shot in Morocco. In uh, about an hour north of Marrakesh, you've got the city of Wazaret, which is where they shoot a lot of movies, the like James Bond movies and a lot of these action movies. And they, they've got complete movie studios there, just like they do in Hollywood. So it's a big movie production area, literally out in the desert. Uh, my daughter and I took a trip to the desert uh, a couple of years ago. And I think if you were to 
pop her into this conversation real quick. She would say, the trip to the desert with my dad was probably the highlight of all my travels, probably everywhere, because it was so cool to go to the desert for a few days. But um, Marrakesh is is a place that I love in Morocco. And Greece, I'm right on the water. I'm, I'm in a little small town there that uh, just of no consequence name-wise, but it's definitely outside of the tourist zone. It's just off in the countryside overlooking the Mediterranean. And there's still great bargains can be had in Greece, by the way. Great bargains can be had there. And actually, I think at the time that that we're doing, you know, we're talking right now, there's good bargains can be had globally right now, truthfully. Um, I'm, I'm getting phone calls and emails from people telling me about stuff, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know that I've got enough money to grab all the bargains that are out there right now. But there's definitely some bargains to be had at this time in history. So. If that if that's any clue for somebody listening, absolutely. Like, and I, this ties back to your point earlier. You know, invest when the markets are down. Don't be investing at the top of the market. That's the time that you should be staying in cash. Now, I know it's difficult to time things, but right now is a downturn. What's happening with COVID is the chance to go out there and acquire some different properties or different investments while you can, and you're actually going to be helping people. Like, think about that. Some people are very cash poor right now and need the money. So by going in and making an offer, you can actually make someone else's life better and still help yourself at the same time. It's literally a win-win. I agree with you. Um, and now, now and in the coming months, it's going to be even better. And, you know, resources like what you have to offer with programs like this were just not available 25 years ago when I was wanting to get out there and begin my you know, quest for, for doing this. There were things out there, but, you know, this is just so much more helpful. I've enjoyed listening to, to some of the programs and I'm still gaining information, even though I've been doing it for a while. And, you know, you, you might say, well, you're an expert at it, John. I will tell you, you never become a total expert. You're still learning. You're still figuring out ways that your money can get taken if you're not careful. And you're still looking for the way bargains and, and to move your money around so that you can enjoy it and invest it well and make sure that it's there for you in the future. And it's, you know, it's either something you enjoy or you don't. And it's not really cut for some people, but for other people, and I'll include you in that club, you know what I'm talking about. Once you're bitten by that bug, you enjoy it, whether you just buy one or whether you like to buy one and then another one. And then, you you know, just when I say this will be the last one, something else comes along and I'm like, I can't turn it down to the deal. So I, I enjoy it. And with all your properties internationally, you have them for personal use, you rent them out, it's a, it's a business, or these are vacation homes. How does that work? I've bought and sold several over the years, and I've got one or two that I keep for me personally. Um, that I just keep because I enjoy traveling, and I go and I stay for several weeks at a time. So um, I consider my personal residence. And then the others I've just sold as I bought them, hold them for a couple of years, do some renovation work to them. And it's just not as crazy as you think it would be to get people to work. In some of the other countries, you're going to be amazed at the quality of work and the craftsmanship by the people from these countries and what they can do. And that's just something that's been lost in the United States. I, I, I'm sorry, 
But if you're wanting to find a craftsman, it's still going to be somebody who's come from Mexico or come from Europe or Bulgaria or one of the old Czech republics. And you you start talking to them and you can hear the accent and you go, where's that accent from? And they'll tell you, I'm from this country. I'm from that country. I'm from that country. And I'm going, yeah, well, no wonder you've got a craftsmanship about you. And they said, this is what my grandfather did. It's what my father did. And it's what I've been trained to do. And when I came to the U.S., this is all I do now. But it's hard to find those craftsmen here. Most people want to go into Home Depot or Lowe's or something like that and just buy something and put it up. But if you can find these people from other countries here in the U.S., oh, my gosh, some of the work they can do is just unbelievable, especially if you can lead them down the right path to, to what you're wanting. They're just great craftsmen. But in the countries themselves, I, I enjoy finding the people that can do the work. I do such exotic stuff in, in remodeling that it's just, it's cool. It's about the best way to put it. It's, it's so cool, the, the work that they can do. And so I have fun doing it. Well, and I suppose I'm, I'm going to take a guess and say that the zoning laws are quite a bit more lax in uh, a lot of the foreign countries than you'll find in the U.S. So you can probably be creative and you don't get stuck in, you know, six months worth of bureaucracy to, to put an addition on or to, to redo uh, a, one of the rooms or something like that. There's no question. And, and here's a fact. That, and because I will always get asked for, by people, how do you buy something at that price? And for instance, whether it's Brazil uh, or Mexico, I'll use Mexico because I, I sort of use this analogy occasionally. And they'll, they'll look at something and I'll say, well, how, how can you buy a place on the beach at that price? I just don't. It, what's the catch? That's the, the word I'll get all the time. What's the catch? And I always put it like this, and I go, well, let me ask you something. Do you think the people that are coming here from other countries work for a lot of money? And people will say, well, well, no. I say, do you think they work for a little money? And they go, well, yeah, that's, that's why they get hired, because they're, they're you know, far less labor cost. And I go, there you go. So if they work for not a lot of money here, what do you think they work for back in those countries? And they go, ah, I said, material costs are a lot less in those countries. Labor cost is a lot less. And I'm not talking about bad beat them up labor. It's just the cost of labor is a lot less and they're happy to work, but they just don't make as much. But here's the irony of it all. Because as you know, I told you in the beginning, I've been in the housing industry all of my life. Houses, condos, anything you buy in the United States, you can look it up, have about a 27 to 30% cost of bureaucracy. So if you're buying a home in the United States for 300000 just take 30% of 300000 That's almost a third of the price. $100,000 of that is bureaucracy cost. And that starts from the time the people buy the land having to get it rezoned, having to do land planning, all the bureaucracy till the house is delivered to the consumer. And this was done by the National Association of Home Builders and I think realtors in conjunction, the, the National Association of Realtors, and I forget where I read the statistic, but 27 to 30% of all housing in the United States is a cost of bureaucracy. You just don't have that in other countries. And so just take immediately the bureaucracy cost off the top and you're off 30%. Then you take the cost of labor of what it costs here. And by the time you look at all the cost for everybody that puts their fingers in the pies for real estate in the U.S., 
You just don't have it in these other countries. And that's why people will look at you and they're just stunned at what you paid for it. They just don't see how you can do it. And I go, you just don't realize how high and how expensive everything has become in the United States. You're just brain dead to the cost. Bargains can be had in these other parts of the world that will blow you away. It's as simple as it gets. So Absolutely. And I've, I've done a lot of work with timber plantations and things like that as well. And I mean, that's where a lot of the lumber is built or is grown, excuse me, is in these types of countries. So, I mean, if you're not having it shipped up to the United States, if you're having it just shipped down the street, I mean, there's a savings for you. There's so many other little things like that with the building materials. I think that without all these trade wars that's going on with China, you're probably going to be able to get things a better price out from overseas like India and China. I mean, there's just so many things. And it, it may not be one thing that changes the whole project, but it's so many little things um, that when you add them up, they can equate to massive savings. And, and it's the quality and of materials. I'll give you an example. In the U.S., most houses are built with shingle asphalt roofing. This, this is just one small component. Most houses in the U.S., when you talk about, you know, not expensive stuff, just normal, you know, middle-of-the-road stuff, uh, will have formica tops, and they'll have carpeting put in. Go to a place like Brazil, which I, I have a client there that I work with, and when you look at a clay-tiled roof, which in the United States would cost a fortune. Then you look at solid surface countertops of granite, which in the United States are considered a big upgrade. Down there, it's standard. And then you look at all tiled floors because nobody puts carpet in down there. They just wouldn't do it. They're putting in tiled floors and people go, oh God, how can you afford to do that? These are the standard materials in these countries. These are not upgrades. But in the United States, you would pay a fortune for a tiled roof. You would pay a fortune for tiled floors, and you'll pay a fortune to get the upgrade from the full mica tops to solid surfaces. Down there, it's the standard stuff, and it, you're not paying a premium. In fact, it costs less, and that's what people, they just open their jaws and go, I can't believe it. I don't know how it can be done at that price. I said, you're just still under the hypnotic spell of what things cost in the U.S., Back to when we first started, you, you asked me, what was my allure to buying things outside of the country? We may be hitting the hot spot right now. Things can just be bought for a lot less money, and you can get such cool places for so much less than you can buy them for in the U.S. The question is, you just got to pick the country that you like. And if you find one that you like, you like the food, you like the culture, you like what your dollar will do for you, find something. It's easy enough to do. That, that's, my, that's my story in a nutshell. Find something and do it. Well, I have a friend that uh, does development in Costa Rica, and they do all custom cabinetry from uh, from scratch. And I'm like, so this is not press board uh, bullshit that your neighbor has and the, the neighbor next door to them have. I mean, these are all custom hardwood cabinetry. And when he was telling me the prices, I couldn't believe it. I was like, that's just unbelievable. You would never be able to afford something like that in Canada or the States. Labor. The labor cost, once again, when you, when you see the people that are working in the states building homes here, they, they don't make a lot of money, but they're, the, they're hardworking. And I got to tell you, the, the people from Mexico that come up, they are the hardest 
working people that I see on these job sites today, and they do a good job. They work hard. They'll work on Saturdays. They work on Sundays, and they're not getting paid that much here, but they came here for a better life. And I just look at it when somebody asked me, and I said, just remember, they're not making a lot here. So think about what they were making in Mexico to do the same thing. And now you see why you just you just don't pay as much down there to get some of, some of these cool places. It's just the costs are just not there. And you hit it on the head a moment ago. All the, the little things add up to not just hundreds, not thousands, but literally tens of thousands of dollars in savings. And so – you know, that there's your, your allure. And hopefully people that are listening to this right now are, are thinking to themselves, hmm, I, I've looked around in the U.S. and I can't afford the things that I want here. Well, pick another country and you can afford it. I can assure you, you can afford waterfront. You can afford things that are on the beach in other countries because you're going to get good quality and you're going to get a good spread on your dollar. And that's what it's really about is finding a country where the dollar is strong. Something that's being built good and something where you've got a good spread on your dollar, now you've got a winner. Exactly. And it's so amazing when you do move to another country and you buy real estate or you move into an area, people are very actually, they're actually very happy to have you there. You know, this is not, oh, we're taking advantage of them or these poor people, you know, we're, we're exploiting the situation. No, you're going in and you're doing honest business with honest people. They want to work and you're helping provide something. You're helping the economy grow. You're taking U.S. dollars into these countries. I think that's amazing. I think that that's something that should be encouraged and not be seen, not frowned on. You know, these people want to work. They want to build something. They want to take care of themselves and their family. And by buying real estate there or any type of business, you're helping the economy. You're helping these people. I'd rather be doing that than donating to a charity. I'll tell you that. There's no question. I am. Um, I am amazed, and I see how rich people, I'll, I'll just say that, but politicians and people with money, they'll go to other countries. They will have people who will be uh, housekeepers and take care of their properties in these other countries, and they, they just don't have to pay much. And they think, wow, if I could just bring him or her home with me. And then what happens, they bring him or her home with them, and they want to pay them the same price they were paying them down in those countries. And then they keep them sort of in the back rooms. And then after a few years, they get caught for uh, labor laws because you can't pay people in the U.S. what you can pay down there. And here's the difference. In the U.S., they'll become unhappy because they'll realize they can't live on what you're paying them. But in those other countries, not only are they not unhappy, they're thankful, they're grateful, and they want to be a part of your world, and they're glad to work. And it's not like you have to overpay because Americans are, are bad about that. You just pay what the going rate is and maybe a, a tiny little bit more and you can give nice little bonuses during the holidays. And you're a hero. You are an absolute hero. Uh, I've got people that have been working for me in these other countries for years. And I don't feel like I'm ripping them off because I don't pay them what they would make in the United States. Uh, because that's the reason I don't have those people in the United States with me because I couldn't afford them, to be honest with you. Um, I couldn't afford that kind of work. But in the other countries, not only do they love working for me and taking care of me and my friends and my places, but they're happy to do it. And that's the beauty of it. Um, and that's the reason why so many people do look at other properties you know, in parts of the world is the, the lifestyle changes your element of services change and just so many different things change that 
make life really good. Well, I remember you just triggered a memory. Um, at Christmas time, I, I have an assistant who works for me full time, and I pay him probably double of what he would get if he was working and doing the same type of job somewhere else. For me, it's still a fantastic deal. I get someone who's smart and well-educated and can do a, is very comparable and very loyal. I mean, I just remember though, at Christmas time, I put a couple hundred bucks in an envelope and gave it to him. And he was so over the moon happy with that. And I mean, like a couple hundred bucks for me is is nothing like that doesn't that's not going to affect my life but i mean that thank you to him was so massive and no one need to needed to force me they didn't need to write a law for that it didn't need to be um set in stone by the government of what type of bonus i should give him for the holidays he was doing a good job throw a few hundred bucks into an envelope say thank you very much merry christmas and i mean he's just so so happy and thankful and and i feel good that i actually employ him and take care of him and treat him well and with respect. And I mean, I can afford to do that here. If I had to do all of my business in Canada um, and have a full-time assistant and do these types of things, I just, I wouldn't be able to afford it. So then nobody wins. Um, I have to do more of the things myself. I mean, which means that I can't do as many cool interviews like this and talk to smart people like you. And I mean, like there's just a whole circular effect that happens. Well, it's not an, an elitist attitude. It's it's a, an attitude of you just go with the role for what country that you're in. And the beauty of it is just what you just said. You can give more and do more and be a hero without going to the extent you would have to do in the U.S. We live in a great country. There's no question in the USA. It is a great country, but it takes a lot to live here. And you probably have heard this before. There are a lot of people that come here from other countries, and some make it. Some end up going back to the motherlands because they go, it's too hard to live here. There's too many rules. There's too many regulations. And it's hard to get your foot in the ground here. And so while it is a great country that you can do a lot with and you can make money, a lot of people don't. And they end up going back to their countries because they realize the life that they lived there was better. It's easier. It's nowhere near what it is here. And, you know, while I know there are people that want to stay and I know there's oppression and there's issues that go on in some countries, I, I sometimes look at some of them when they say, I'd love to come to the U.S. And, you know, could you help me come up there? I'm going, believe me, you've got paradise right here. Why do you want to come? And and I just it amazes me. And sometimes I think you just need to come up. I, I've had some of them you know, uh, some friends who said they want to come. And I say, well, first of all, let me tell you what you're going to need, a car. Second of all, you're going to need money and a lot of it just to get started. You're going to need a place to stay. And, you know, there's so many things that your life here doesn't need that you will need there that you better start saving your money and a lot of it just to get started up in the U.S. Unless you just want to live a very rough life for a few years. Granted, there are those success stories by the people that, that have done it. But for the majority of them, they don't do it. You've got some people who are really able to endure it and do it, but they don't realize they're living in paradise themselves sometimes. And I guess it's it's the same. We want to go there and they want to come here. But um, I've, I've had to help a few people get disenchanted about what it was like to, to really leave where they are. They have such a good life there. They may not know it. Oh, exactly. When I think about the, the food and the fruit and the vegetable and the seafood and all of those types of things and the health and the weather, I mean, 
I love some of the countries that I've lived in in my life. And sorry, everybody, but don't miss Canada whatsoever. Um, I don't miss any of those types of things. Uh, I, I'm, I love my life right now in Panama City, and I love my life when I lived in Australia and New Zealand and um, in Guatemala and all the other places that I've lived around the world. Not to say that, sorry, not to say that Australia or New Zealand is a developing country by any means. Obviously, that's not true. But I mean, when you look at food and weather and the opportunities that you have in other countries, there's a lot going for, there's a lot going for a lot of other places in the world. There really is. And it's, it's really what you make of it. I talk to a lot of people and I encourage a lot of people, um, why don't you come and buy something? I, I'll help you find something. Very few people really, they talk about it and they dream about it, but you know this statistic, what I'm about to say, that you know more than 70% of Americans don't even have a passport. Barely 30% of the U.S. population has a passport. So that'll give you an idea of how many people truly travel. And you know the number one tourist destination outside of the U.S., I think it may still be true, you're probably more of an expert, is the U.K. And the reason being is because they speak English. For me, Personally, it's my last stop. I want to go where they don't speak English, and I've never had a problem in any of the countries getting around. People are always willing to help. They're willing to give you directions. They're, and even if they don't speak English and you don't speak French or Arabic or Greek or Spanish or Italian or Portuguese, it doesn't matter. There's, they, they all know a few words, and all you have to do is know a few words. Hello, Thank you. I appreciate it. A few simple words, and you are off and running in any country. I just, I just gave the secret to surviving in any country. Just learn a few <laughs> words, and the people will bend over backwards to help you any way possible. And um, that's really the secret to going to other countries right there. That's it. Podcast over. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, but it's true. I've, yeah, and you know what I've also had going back to our conversation about uh, hiring people? I've also found that you will be able to find someone and pay them to work as a translator, at least until you're getting yourself situated. We certainly did that when we got to Panama. We hired someone who spoke perfect English and was a native Spanish speaker. And I mean, for setting up the bank accounts, for, for the real estate, for all these different things, just kind of came along with us, you know, explained things, things I didn't understand. And I mean, it's cost nothing. Like nothing, nothing, nothing. Um, I can't even imagine trying to set something like that up if I lived in back in Toronto or, or somewhere else. You know, uh, hire a translator for a couple of weeks. No, well, wouldn't be possible. Mikhail, I've had the same experience in other countries. I've had people who are now I consider my just close, close friends. Um, that have gone and helped me set up electricity, have gone to the banks with me. <clears throat> and when I say, what do I owe you? It's almost as though I spit in their face. And I hate to say that, but it's like, you don't owe me anything. I, I do this because you're my friend. And they really, they want to know people from the States. And they're glad to help. And they really, they see that you're at a, at a point that you could get ripped off if you're not careful. That, that, and that is the truth. And the, the right people, and you'll know it when you meet them, they want to help you. But I've never had anybody take money from me to help me do some of those things. And to become a friend, you know what I get to do? If I'm lucky, I can take them to dinner. I can buy their lunch and you know do little things like that. But I've never, 
never have I had anybody accept any money from me to help me do those type things. Go with me and help me translate here. Be my guide here for an hour here or an hour there. I may have to do a little bit on their schedule some, but the truth is I've never had anybody accept any money. And I always offer at, you know, at the end of a day or something, if they've helped me, what do I owe you for this? And they're like, I didn't come for money. I came because you're my friend. And I think that's something that we just don't see in the U.S., people that will do that. And I, I'm sure you've experienced it too. Yeah, there's such genuine relationships that you can build with people overseas. I think that, and I, and I don't want to make this a, a trashing North America standards by any means, but I think that a lot of the priorities in the U.S. has gotten very consumer-focused, and a lot of that human interaction is wanting these days, which makes me very sad. Well, the term ugly American was born for a reason. And I have seen them. And I, I would I would bet you probably have seen them if you've traveled a lot. The proverbial ugly American. And uh, you know, they don't endeavor to even learn how to say, you know, merci or learn how to say, you know, gracias in another language. They just won't even learn a few simple words. And they they will over tip which over tipping or over giving somebody money can be as much of an insult to your culture and to their culture as, as not giving enough. And they just don't learn the standards and what's going on in a country. And so they just do things that make themselves look obnoxious, if that makes sense or not. But um, they just don't pay attention to the cultures. They, they will use, you know, words that are outside of frame and, um, just really don't don't respect where they are or the people. And it's kind of like I'm here to suck and absorb while I'm here. And I just want you to give and give to me whatever you can. And that's where the term was born from, I think. Um, I've definitely seen people that I think I would call ugly Americans. Um, and I've also seen the exact opposite. People that I think respect the cultures, respect the people, treat people nice, talk to them nice. Um and are just gracious and courteous to the people because you're in their country. They're not in yours. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I want to bring things back around and talk more about the real estate side. I want to pick your brain a little bit and maybe get a couple of stories out of you. Um, maybe first, I suppose, because these are always fun. Uh, any horror stories, John? Any, any stories of things that you went to buy and just went terribly wrong or... or um, things were not what they said they were supposed to be or any times you got uh, taken advantage of when buying real estate internationally? Well, I will tell you one, I've only had what I consider to be one horror story. Um, and I was in North Africa and I was buying a piece of real estate. Somebody grabbed my uh, cell phone and took off and I ran after him. And as I did, I tripped on a cobblestone street and went flying through the air landed on a curb and shattered both shoulders simultaneously. Whoa. Had to get airlifted back to the States, spent four months in the hospital. And so, oh um, you know, when you, when you talk about a horror story, but that's the beginning. The day that I fell was the horror. The rest of it was not a horror story. Um, and so people said, gosh, you know, so what happened to your phone? And I said, would you believe I got it back? And they go, what? <laughs> the people there in the streets of Morocco ran after the guy and got him, brought him back, laid him on the street right next to me, had their feet on top of him, kicking, beating, and spitting on him, and handed my phone back to me. And 
you know, they they told me later that he would probably be in jail for five years. It's two and a half years if he takes something from a local. It's five years if he takes something from a tourist, and it doubles to 10 years if he has a weapon in his pocket, something sharp. I don't know whether he had a something sharp in his pocket. Most of the time they don't. It's just petty thievery. But for me, uh, it did cause the shattering of both shoulders. I had titanium shoulders put in, spent four months in the hospital rehabbing. And there was, you can even go online and look this up and read the story. If you just put in my name, John Palumbo, and just put in the word Morocco, uh, you can read the story because it was in a lot of newspapers. And um, at the end, it says, you know, something about, I think the, the guy said, so would you ever go back? And I said, yes, I will go back. And I have gone back, and I love that place. I, it didn't deter me at all. It was a bad accident. But the next few months were really almost like the COVID. I was quarantined. I was in a, a rehab center, and I couldn't leave for four months. But I met the greatest people. I met some interesting people. And uh, it was a great time for me to uh, reflect on my life. So that's a horror story. But here's my advice out of all of that. Always. Always, always buy travel medical insurance when you leave the United States. I had travel medical insurance, and here's what it got me. It got me a skilled nurse to come to Morocco and get me. That skilled nurse escorted me back up through Europe, through New York, through Atlanta, and down to Jacksonville, which is where I lived, and straight to the hospital where we started over again. And I had first-class tickets on a jet to get me back to the United States, all paid for by my travel medical insurance. I personally buy an annual plan, meaning I don't buy it flight by flight. I buy an annual plan that covers me. And no, your credit card does not have it. Most people say, oh, well, I've got, I've got medical insurance on my credit card. And I go, no, you don't. You've got travel medical advice. That means if you have a problem, uh, they'll tell you where to go, you know, to find a doctor. They won't fly you back home in the event of an emergency. I had to activate it. I had to use it. And it saved me at least thirty to $40,000 with first-class tickets, a skilled nurse with me the whole way till I got back to the States. So there's the horror story. But I still love going to Morocco. I didn't let it deter me because of one silly act that a kid did. Um, now, as far as real estate, I've had some... You know, it's hard for me to say that I've had any real calamities. It, there's certainly been a few little odds and ends, but nothing that I could call a horror story. Beyond that, that's a hard one to beat. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, but no, but that and and that's that's a point in its own. The fact that you know you were not going to buy a a condo or go buy a, a house or something, and it, the guy ran off with your money, or it. The, the project wasn't real or, you know, you hear these types of things online that, you know, I know it does happen. Um, but I mean, I think a lot of it is scare tactics and a lot of people take one instance and blow it out of proportion. I think that people are inherently good and it's part of your responsibility to do your due diligence, to work with a law firm, especially a legal, like the local people there and hire your own counsel. Don't just use the developers. If, if you're going through a developer, don't use their lawyer, use your own lawyer. Yeah, I think that by you, with all of your experience, you've never had one of these terrible things happen. Um, I think that's a story in its own. I think that should be motivational for people that maybe they should give it a try. I don't know. Well, 
again, I'm familiar with real estate, so I'm not completely naive to, and you really hit good points. I've always had my own lawyer. I've always hired my own counsel in these uh, different countries. I've always had my trusted resources versus someone else's. And with that, I've always felt like I've treaded a little more lightly. I've been cautious. You know, I've done my homework. Um, I don't get analysis by paralysis. I'm not a victim of that. I know people who said they were going to buy something and they look for years before they do anything. I pretty much will look for a while. And once I see something, I can sense whether it's a good deal. And I follow very good protocols for protecting myself by utilizing people that I trust and knowing what I'm doing. So I I haven't had any horror stories. I've lost a little money, you know, as I began to learn currency exchanges in the early days and, you know, how to move my money a little more effectively and a little more efficiently, Um, you know, buying things locally, uh, just figuring out how to save money and just not jumping at every opportunity, but doing my homework and feeling comfortable with the people that I had chosen to do business with. Um, And so I don't have a, a bad horror story, but I have heard them from people. Uh, but a lot of times they've been because of their own ignorance and things that they've done and they've not used um, normal procedures, if that makes sense, uh, normal protocols. Well, would you do that at home? No. Well, why did you do it there? Well, they just said, well, who is they? Well, they were, and I'm going, you, you just have to be careful. And I think you have to use be on guard anytime you leave, but you have to be on guard in the U.S. Here's, here's the favorite question that I always get asked of me, of people who've not bought and probably never will, but they love to throw these curveball at you. Tell me if you've not heard this one before. Aren't you afraid that the government will take your real estate from oh you? Oh, my God. Yeah. And I'm like, for sure. Am I, am I afraid of that? You mean worse than I am in the U.S.? <laughs> and they go, what do you mean? You mean like when Walmart decides they want to build a store, you don't stand in their way. You do know that. They will use police powers or eminent domain, and your house will be gone. So they take your house quicker in the U.S. than they will in these other countries. And I said, they've already got enough real estate in those countries. They don't need to take yours. They need to. They want you to bring money. So when you buy a piece of real estate there, they're not going to take it from you. They're going to hope that you'll come back every few months and bring money and friends and spend it there. If they take your real estate, not only do you not come back, but none of your friends come back. So if your question is, am I afraid the government is going to nationalize and take my real estate? The answer is no. No, I am not. I think they want my money and they want to keep me coming there and they're going to do everything possible to make it easier and easier and easier for me to get there. And, uh, you know, there's my answer. But it's amazing the fears that people can create in their own minds. Um, you know, uh, Brazil, for instance, it used to have to get a visa to go down there. Just recently, they did away with the visas. Now you can go without a visa to Brazil. They want Americans to come there. They want them to spend their money there. They want you to buy real estate there, and you can get some amazing deals there. But they're not going to take it from you after you buy it. That's just not the game plan here. It's you buy it. Hopefully, you'll buy some more, and hopefully, you'll bring your money down and eat at the restaurants and you know rent the local cars and go to the the businesses and do business and buy furniture. That's the, how the plan works. It doesn't 
they're not conspiring for you to buy and then take your real estate. That's a big misnomer. And surely you've heard that question before. I mean, oh, absolutely. it's been asked me so many times over the years, it's ridiculous. Well, and then I think that people also have to understand that we're talking about private real estate. We're talking about houses and condos and beachfront properties. I'm not talking about airports or giant factories or petroleum plants or gold mines. The places that governments nationalize is not your condo at $150,000. Like, like <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not suggesting you go to, suggesting that you go to Venezuela and buy an airport. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. So we have to keep things in right. context when we're talking stories. Like, uh, but yeah, I get that. I have gotten that question many a times for sure. And it, it, to me, it's just, I, I think about it and I think, why are you asking me? You, you're not really a candidate to buy something out of the country if that's what's going through your mind. And I have to be honest with you. It has never gone through my mind anywhere I've bought stuff or gone to or worked with, you know, um, the people that I do consulting work with and, and help them with their projects. I have never even thought that, but I guess I just live in a different world. I just don't see it. Um, the government's taking back the real estate because there's, They've already got plenty of real estate. They don't need more. They don't need your condos. They need your money. So they take your condo. You don't bring your money back. And then they're really out of business. Exactly. So any countries at the moment that are on your radar, radar John, I want to know what, what you think is going to be some of the hot zones going forwards uh, in international real estate. I think all international real estate right now and, and in the coming months, are going to be really good targets, especially outside of the U.S. Because here's an irony. Real estate in the U.S. right now is red hot. At, at the time that we're doing this podcast, real estate in the U.S. is reaching peak performance highs. And I have people asking me regularly, you know, oh, I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about that. And I'm going, why would you buy in the U.S. right now? And they go, well, what are you suggesting? I'm going, pick something outside of the U.S. Just go south of here where the climates are good and warm. Uh, Mexico, Brazil, uh, these are some great places right now. And, and your dollar just goes so far in these, you know, in these countries. Um, I'm working with some stuff down in Brazil right now, and I, I keep getting the same question. How, how do you sell it at this price? It, the prices are so good that people just feel like there's a catch. And I go, there's no catch. The dollar's strong, and the economy is thirsty for U.S. dollars right now. It's as simple as it gets. And that's what I'm looking for when I'm looking for deals. Economies that are thirsty for U.S. dollars and that will let my dollar go a long way. Can I go eat a lobster and have a nice dinner for 10 or 15 bucks, a lobster dinner? Uh, you know, in the U.S. to go out to a, a nice restaurant and have lobster, I'm going to spend, you know, for two people, a hundred bucks easy. Um, and I want to go somewhere where I, my money really goes a long way. I'm comfortable and I don't have to fear for my life. And that's another question that people always ask me. Are you scared? And I go, no. And And I'll tell you why. I don't go to the parts of town in these countries where I should be scared. Kind of like in New York City. There are parts of New York City you'd have to be a fool to go to because your life is in danger. But there are other parts of downtown New York that you can go to and feel relatively safe. All countries have their areas that are not safe, and all countries have areas that you know are meant to be safe and you don't have to worry about. 
But I don't worry about any of the places that I go to in these countries. I stay right where you know the the people are and where the safe areas are, and I never have any problems. You have to be careful anytime you leave. But you have to be careful anytime you travel. Uh, it doesn't matter whether it's in the U.S. or outside of the U.S., but I'd say right now my hot spots would be Brazil. Uh, I'm really high on Brazil. Uh, Mexico, I like Mexico. Uh, the bargains are not quite there, but it's still good. But anything south of the border in the U.S. is good right now, and I think a lot of people still find it easy to go stuff south of, of our borders. Europe is – you can get some good buys in Europe. Um, Africa, I don't really – I've got experience in North Africa, not South Africa at all. But um, I, I think my hot spots right now are going to be Brazil and, and maybe Mexico if you can find some good spots in there. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And then to your other point, when – you know, I've – been talking about Brazil for a long time as well. I've been there dozens of times. I mean, I'm not talking about the favela in in Rio. You know, if you watch City of God, that's not what I'm talking about. You know, we're talking about tourist areas. Um, you know, you uh, these are some pretty large countries like Mexico, Brazil. These are monstrous countries. There's a lot of different places that you can buy, and it's not all created equally. You need to go and do your research. You need to do a bit of due diligence. You need to read and research and talk to smart people and understand. Um, this is not a, a license or not a, uh, a comment to just go out there and buy anywhere in Brazil or anywhere in Mexico or in Panama where I live or anything like that. I mean, you have to do your own work, but I mean, there are very safe places. Um, and for sure, I wouldn't be wanting to walk around at two o'clock in the morning in Detroit or in South Central or in, like you said, in places in New York. You got to be careful. Um, I think that should should go without saying, you know. Well, if you watch too much Netflix and you watch too many of these cartel shows, they'll scare the hell out of you about any of these countries because you think Absolutely. it's just the way they live. They're killing everybody. But that's not real life. I mean, you know, they're taking one tiny segment for entertainment purposes about these drug cartels and the way these people live and the ruthlessness by which they live by. That's not a reality in these places. These people are so um, warm and they're so uh, caring and they, they want you to come. They want to help you. Do they want your money? Yes. But it's not the same way do they want your money? They, they want your money because they want to be able to do for you and you just simply pay for it. It's not they want your money like we're here to steal it from you. They want your money in the form of good business people and they want you to come as part of their economic survival to spend money in their restaurants and in their stores and their souvenirs. And they're pretty harsh on punishment for criminals who bother tourists in these places. You know what I told you about Morocco? They're very harsh because they don't want to ruin that business. So if you're buying places, you're probably buying places in areas that are frequented by travelers, and people from other countries. And they're going to do what they can to make sure that you're taking care of in those places. They don't want to see crime rise there. So I, I don't ever have a problem in any of them that I go to. And I'm just careful on anything, but no problems, no issues. Well, it's the same thing for me. I've been to more than 100 countries. I've been traveling nonstop for t more than 20 years at this point. And I mean, my list of horror stories is like nada, zip, no. Like I just try to keep my head on my shoulders and... I wish I had more. But yeah, they, they make for funny stories. But I mean, like I said, it's, it's just not the reality. You just have to keep your head on your shoulders and go out there and try to make good decisions. Maybe don't go out there and be drinking all night and you know, pick fights with people who are bigger than you, you know? <laughs> it's like the world is actually a really good place.
And I always encourage people to go out there and see for themselves. Don't believe everything that you see on mainstream television or on Netflix, like you mentioned. I watch some of these programs on Netflix, and they will scare the hell out of you. That that's God is this the way really life is with these people. But you have to remember that's a world of entertainment that's being created to to entertain. Period. It's not the real world in these places. Yes, drugs do move. Yes, that does happen. But it's not happening unless you're looking for drugs. Now, if you go looking for drugs in trouble, you're going to be in trouble. But I, I assume most people that are even listening to this are not even into that world in any fashion, shape, or form. And um, you should be able to, to travel comfortably to any of these places. I do. And, and like you said, my horror stories, I only have one that's, that's there, and that's it. Brilliant. I love it, John. Thank you so much for sharing all your tips with us today on international real estate. If my listeners want to find out more about what you do, if they want to get a hold of you, where can we send them? Um, well, you can always write to me at uh, J at AOL.com. But if you want to see my travel pictures and get a taste of what I do around the world, uh, you could always go to Instagram and it's Palumbo J, just my last name, first initial, and it's P-A-L-U-M-B-O. Uh, or you can just Google me and it'll you'll be able to pull up uh, you know everything from websites to wiki pages and Instagram and Facebook. And you're welcome to follow uh, right along. If you have any comments or questions, you're always welcome to drop them to me. If you have questions about uh, hot spots and where you're thinking about buying, you're always welcome. Uh, I answer all my email personally. I, I have a staff of people that work for me that support me when I'm traveling. But um, you know, I'm always glad to assist somebody if they're looking to buy something. Drop me a note. I'm glad to help. Perfect. I love it. Thank you so much for your time, John. And I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, Mikhail. It's been my pleasure. Hey everyone, I just want to tell you about a great opportunity. You see, we've had a massive interest lately in learning a second language. And I do a lot of my language training with my very good friend, Ollie Richard. We've been friends for three or four years now, and he's been on my program, and I've been on his program, and he spoke at my conferences, and I've spoke at his conferences. And he really is a genius. His techniques for teaching languages are just out of this world. He actually makes it fun and enjoyable. He was one of the main drivers for me rekindling my interest in Spanish. And under his tutelage and his advice and using his programs, I went from really crummy Spanish to quite fluent in a really short amount of time. So if you are looking to learn a second language or maybe even a third language, what I want you to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language forward slash language, and it's going to redirect you to some of all these best courses out there in the world. And there's some special promotions going on, some special opportunities for subscribers of my podcast. So I hope you take us up on this offer and go and check it out. That's expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language to get the best resources in the world for learning a second language. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming 
to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.